It is Tuesday, folks, and therefore time to talk uh, Hawkeyes football right here on our Iowa channel at the Voice of College Football. Of course, we credit uh, Corey Bratta from the Hawkeye of the Storm as the guy that makes this show work. So check out his uh, football and basketball content there at uh, from the Hawkeye of the Storm. But we are talking Iowa football here for the next 60 minutes or so, something in that range. So leave those comments and questions right here. Corey, good to see you. Good to see you, Mark. How's the weather in the great state of Ohio? The weather was a pretty unseasonably, uh, you know, moderate 45 range for the last okay. week to 10 days, something in that range. And it has plummeted here in the last 24 hours to the low 20s. I was going to say, you're probably about to get what we've been having. Um, and we're starting to trend, I think, back up. And I say up. Uh, today's a warm spell. And I think the high was like 19. So, uh, you know, y- you're going to be enjoying some negative wind chills and, and all that. We got another, what, month, probably month and a half at least of that, right? I think we get to mid-March. Maybe we start to get some maybe 50, 60-degree days. And, uh, you know, we'll have – well, you talk. we talk about this every year. You don't even watch March Madness anymore, do you? You really don't. I, I really haven't. I, I don't know who played in the national championship game last year because I didn't watch it. I don't know when the last time I watched a national championship game in basketball. Like, I understand you're busy and I understand, you know, you got a lot going on. But I mean, like with, with college football, I mean, I understand there's spring games, but at some point, man, the, the season's just so short. You and a number of other people went through my mind the other day because this must have been Sunday after no, it couldn't have been Sunday with the yeah, it might have been no, it was Saturday. Saturday. Um I had a number of things to do. I was out and about. I came home, I just flipped on the TV, and there was a Big Ten basketball game on Purdue and Michigan State, I think. Not a very good game. And and I just I thought, you know what? I'm gonna leave this on for a few minutes and I'm just gonna sit here and watch it. And I thought this is the first basketball I've watched in I don't know. I have checked in on March Madness from time to time, but it's just not like appointment. Like I know who's playing and I'm going to watch it. And it's been like, you know, 10 o'clock at night and I'm just flipping around and I'll just kind of leave it on, but I won't really pay attention kind of thing. But I sat there and watched it for about 10 or 15 minutes. And then I just, I thought, you know, this would not be torture for, I, I don't want to make the wrong impression. I loved college basketball for years and years and years and years of my life from, from my very first sports uh, recollection, you know, around 1980 up until 10 years ago, loved college basketball. It just dropped off the the map for me. And when that happens in my life, it just kind of goes. And that's that. Hope that never happens for me. I don't think it will. Uh, now I don't have to, I understand the time element of this because I, I have, I have less time to watch, you know, other teams, not Iowa and, and same with college football. I mean, you and I have talked about this. Um, I, I watched a lot of bowl games because I had a little bit more time and uh, man, I enjoyed that. I, and I love bowl season and I know that's, I am the main minority on this. I say bowl season is right up there for me with March madness. Um, and most people, I think most sports fans would say March madness. It's a greater event than bowl season as a whole. Um, but I love them both, and and I'm just happy we have college basketball for the next month and a half. We're going to get some, uh, I think, some interesting. Uh, <laughs> it's going to be an interesting afternoon tomorrow, Mark. <laughs> you got a press conference in Iowa City that a lot of people are going to be tuning in for. I'm guessing that will be broadcast live. Um, I will not be there. I, so I, I debated back and forth on this. Um, Part of me wanted to, to make the two-hour trek to Iowa City for this press conference, and I don't get to a lot of press conferences. Basically, I try to make it to any Zoom press conference I can, and then I get there for media day um, in August. But, um, you know, two hours is a long drive for a 20- to 30-minute press conference. Now, tomorrow, it is National Signing Day. I think a lot of people expect that Kirk Ferentz will say something make some announcement about Brian Ferentz. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. I do think, I mean, you know, the question will be asked, right? (laughs) It'll be the first question out of the gate. Um, You know, what's going on with the staff. And as I've said, the longer we go and the, and, and, you know, the crickets we hear from the league as it relates to Brian Ferentz and and potential opportunities, the more I think, Hey, he's coming back. So 
I've been saying since December, early December, I'm not closing that door yet because I've heard too much scuttlebutt, um, too many, too many people um, that uh, have definitively said yes, it's still a possibility. I had not heard that in the past couple of weeks, but again, until I I don't hear that, until I hear for certain that he's staying put, I'll still believe there's an opportunity, a chance that he does move on. And Bill O'Brien has not hired a staff yet. Um, I don't even know if the, if the Patriots, you may not know this, but if the Patriots even officially announced him as the next OC. I think Adam Schefter announced him, but I don't know that that's been official from the organization. I heard the other day, as of two days ago, let's say, that that had not occurred yet, but but I don't know. Have so, I mean, followed the NFL? It's a formality. I mean, you, you know that Schefter and these guys know what they're doing, so... I, I just, I don't know. We'll see. It'll be interesting to see how Kirk handles it. Perhaps he'll put all the talk to bed tomorrow. Perhaps he will get up there and say, we are sticking with Brian Ferentz as our offensive coordinator and our quarterbacks coach and our play caller. We believe in him. He's the best man to earn close to a million dollars a year. Uh, he's the best man in the market for this position. We are sticking with Brian. Perhaps he'll do that, and if he does that, it's going to be a lot of backlash, but I think it'll basically put all the rumors and all the talk to bed. Uh, I think there'll be some people who will still say, well, there's always a chance that O'Brien hires him. And But I, I think if, if Kirk goes up there, I don't think Kirk's just going to lie. So it'll be interesting to see how he handles that, if there's still that potential for Brian to leave. And you're believing that Kirk would only make that statement if asked. He's not going to initiate that statement. I, I don't know. He might initiate it. Really? Because, um, yeah, because he's been asked so much about potential staff changes. And he said on several occasions, and Gary Barta's talked about this, that Kirk has to go through an assessment and evaluation of his entire staff. Um, I was told that, uh, I think it was Chad Lysko of the Des Moines Register reported yesterday that uh, I guess he spoke with, uh, This is I'm getting this kind of third hand, but apparently he spoke with uh, Gary Barda before the Michigan State Iowa basketball game, and Barda told Lystical that uh, he is close to um, Kirk is close to finishing his evaluation. So that's what Barda said. That, that would have been like a week and a half ago. So if he was close a week and a half ago, my guess is that there's a chance, a good chance, that any announcement or finalization of the plan will be in place for the February 1st press conference. And let's make this clear, Mark. This February 1st press conference is not a press conference about Brian Ferentz. It's not what it's about. It's National Signing Day. I know we have the early signing period, which is the opening signing day, if you will, which is what most people care about nowadays. But you do have some late signees. Grant Leeper is one. Tied in that Iowa grabbed yesterday. Um, was it yesterday? One of the last two days. They'll have him signing on Wednesday. So Kirk does this every year. Um, and you know, the good news is they have someone to talk about specifically. It looked like for a while, maybe they wouldn't get a late signee and they may still get one. I, I, I know there are a couple people that I think they've still been watching, but, um, it's pretty late in the game. Maybe they flip somebody late, but this is not a press conference. That, I mean, nowhere in the announcement from the university of Iowa did it state that, uh, this was to announce potential staff changes. So, but you know it's going to be <laughs> it's going to be asked, and it will be the main topic of the press conference. So I decided not to make the two hour trek down for two reasons: a, uh, if there's any time that I have superb faith in the media to ask the right questions, it would be tomorrow. I mean, they're I don't need to go down there and and act like a hot shot going in there and trying to ask tough questions. I think the media give them credit; they'll they'll ask those tough questions tomorrow if those tough questions need to be asked. And then I wanted to be on live. I want to have actually talked to people following the press conference. So I'll be doing a Hawkeye Hangout call-in show right after, um, right after the press conference. So that should be interesting because we don't know what the press conference is going to be. We don't know the results of that. So um, for the first time ever, I don't really know what we're going to be talking about during that call-in show. So we are anticipating your live stream Hawkeye Hangout to be at what time yes, uh, on Wednesday? I'm guessing the press conference will be. Um, maybe 30 to 45 minutes would be my guess in total. I don't know if, if Tyler, that's the thing, if they have Tyler Barnes. Uh, I haven't heard any announcement about Tyler Barnes, uh, Kirk's son-in-law, recruiting coordinator, potentially speaking. He spoke at the first press conference back in December. So if he speaks, it could be 
you know, four four thirty central. But the press conference is at three central, and then uh, we'll be we'll be live after that. So um, it, it will be interesting, regardless of what happens. I think it will be an active show, so I encourage everybody to get there and uh, should be lively conversation. With uh, the expected lack of activity with most of the top players and most of the players, period, having already signed, I will uh, be on sporadically throughout the day if there is any kind of breaking news or updates that uh, are needed. So uh, join us on the main channel as well and join Corey at uh, 30 to 45 minutes after the start of the Kirk Ferentz news conference at, I believe, 4 Eastern, 3 Central. All right. Good stuff there. So, uh, and, and one more note about what you had to say. How pathetic is it that <laughs> you're saying it, not me. You, you, you're yes. How it. pathetic is it that we will move on from this coach if we can find him another job? If we can't, he will continue to be employed here with the second or third tied for the second most prominent position in the football program. And they're never going to say that Mark, like, well, of course not going to state that he's just going to say, we evaluate if he, if he doubles down, triples down, quadruples down on Brian Ferentz and, and keeps him in his, the, the role that he's in as the court, co- you know, the quarterback's coach and the coordinator, he's going to say, we've evaluated things and we feel really good about where we're at moving forward. Um, I think the narrative, again, I go back to a conversation I had with Brad Heinrichs, head of the uh, Swarm Collective. And um, I I just think that the picture that Kirk wants to paint is that many, most of the issues over the last two years were personnel related. That's just the, the picture he wants to paint. And by Iowa being making a big splash in the portal, this is a way to potentially convince people that hey we got we got personnel now we haven't had personnel i I don't buy that frankly i I just don't i I don't buy that narrative is there some truth to it sure they have i think the quarterback room has been well below average um you know i i think you know padillas we'll see what he does at smu you got carson may who just committed to coffeeville community college that surprised me today um i do believe he'll probably end up back somewhere big in a in a year or two and maybe this is a you know maybe this is part of that deal he's had conversations with the program i don't know but coffeeville is obviously a program at that level and then petrus you know we know what petrus is he, he was probably at least in kirk's eyes the best they had and you know that i i understand the claim that hey that's on the coaches that's on the staff for recruiting these guys and not developing them um, absolutely. I understand that, but I also understand, I think Kirk's point of view is we have not had anything at quarterback. Uh, our wide receiver room has not been very good. Our offensive line has not been very good, but th- that those claims and those quips don't work with me because <laughs> again, who's recruiting these guys, who's developing these guys, the offensive line being so bad. And it has been, it's been really bad. They had one, you know, in 2019, it wasn't very good. It got better in 2020, and then it took a sharp nosedive off a sharp cliff, uh, off a steep cliff in 2021. They've been bad these last two years. They've had decent recruiting classes in there. They've had unfortunate situations with injuries, players walking away, players not working out. You know, you got the David David Cobb situation, which is still kind of strange. Tyler Endress hasn't been, I I don't think, the prospect they were hoping for. and Nothing against Tyler, but he was a four-star recruit coming out of high school. I hadn't seen the field. And he's, what, three, four years in. Jack Plum was a fifth-year senior last year. You know, where was his development? Um, the, the idea that Iowa hasn't had good personnel at receiver. And, and by the way, I, I'm just kind of I'm kind of uh, extrapolating based on what I think is Kirk's mindset. I'm not speaking for Kirk, but this is what I think how Kirk would defend the situation if he was asked directly, well, what, what were the issues of the past two years if it's not coaching? But the idea that Iowa's wide receiver room has just been bad, I don't think that's fair at all. Uh, they have had weaknesses. They've had some injury problems. You know, Nico Regani missed a lot of time last year, as did Deontay Vines. But heck, you got Keegan Johnson, who I get was hurt last year. All right. But you got Keegan Johnson, who's now at Kansas State. Arlen Bruce, who's now at Oklahoma State. Charlie Jones, who went to Purdue and had a huge season. 
those are three wide receivers you had over the last two years. And granted, Johnson and Bruce were young guys, but now those guys are gone. They left and they went to another other more productive power five offenses. So I don't buy the fact that Iowa's just had an unfortunate string of personnel misses uh, across the board on offense. Have they had some personnel issues? Sure. Have they have they managed to, I think, strengthen certain positions? Absolutely. By means of the portal, they have done that. Uh, I think they're going to be better up front with Dejon Parker and now with Rusty Feth, who committed from Miami, Ohio on Sunday. Uh, they're going to be better at quarterback with Cade McNamara. But I go back to what I said a year ago, Mark. On so many occasions, multiple problems require multiple solutions. So if we're gonna make some patches, we're gonna we're gonna put some patches on a, a leaky vessel by means of the transfer portal. Okay, but we better accompany that with some play calling overhaul, some schematic overall, and I think that starts with coaching and recruiting. Okay, the offense has been unquestionably deplorable. Okay, you are going through basically the entire process of what builds either side of the ball. It's talent acquisition, it's development, and then it's game planning, preparing for games and scheming, you know, building an offense. Okay, what kind of offense are we going to run? Why are we going to run this offense? You know, all those things. And then game planning for that particular week. And I would be fascinated to, and I think you can get a pretty good handle on where the breakdowns are if you evaluate all these guys. So just as a case example, we'll take the most egregious one, and it's, of course, Charlie Jones. So here is a a wide receiver coming out of high school who was not highly sought after or highly rated. I just looked up his numbers. He's like the 100 and whatever wide receiver in the country and 3,000th in the nation in in overall uh, player evaluation. He goes to Buffalo. He turns in one season of 18 catches for three touchdowns. So statistically, I don't know that we can gain a whole lot from that. But obviously, these are professional coaches that are paid to evaluate athletes. So they saw something in Charlie Jones. So to their credit, they went out and got an exceptional wide receiver who at that point had only proven to be a very marginal prospect and turned in a decent season, was utilized and and made some plays for Buffalo in the MAC. So he goes to to Iowa and we saw flashes of what he could do. We we saw specific pass plays where he showed himself to be a big time player in spots, but of course, because of the lack of targets, because of the way the offense is implemented, 21 catches, three touchdowns. And then he goes to Purdue and he becomes one of the best wide receivers in college football. I think it's fair to say part of that, Mark, is he he his calling card at Iowa was in the punt return and kick return game. I mean, if, if he if he wasn't active, I mean if Iowa wasn't using him on special teams, he wouldn't have been we, we would nobody would have really I shouldn't say cared that they lost him, but his numbers, as you mentioned, in 2021 were very pedestrian. So I, I don't know where the breakdown came. Was it I mean, it could have been across the board. Perhaps Iowa saw him and his specialist skills from Buffalo and targeted him for that reason. Remember, he came to Iowa as a walk on. So perhaps they never saw the, the true potential that he had um, as a wide receiver. Remember, Kirk did comment back earlier in. Uh, the season in 2022, after Charlie had left, he made the comment that, you know, we saw him really progress during spring ball this year. And it's unfortunate he left. That's the argument that Kirk would have made that they kind of helped that maturation. And then he, he dipped out. I mean, I don't think anybody really buys that, but that's just the the argument that he would make. And, And when you look at, let's say the offensive line unit, I would say that from the time that, Kirk got this program rolling his first two or three years up until five plus years ago that this was most of the time one of the top 10 to 20 units in the country at offensive line most of the time. Something in that range, maybe not quite to that degree all the time, but churning out NFL type players. Okay. And by all measurements, this has been an underachieving offensive line for the last five years, let's say. Now, where does that come from? I don't know that they're recruiting lesser status 
lesser evaluated offensive linemen. I don't think that they are. No, they've actually done better, I think. And I don't okay. look at the ratings, but they've had more, feels like they've had more four-star offensive linemen over the past three to four years than they have that I can remember in a, in a similar stretch. So if you take the last few years prior to 2022 and you take the example of Tyler Linderbaum and then you take most of the other guys that were uh, ranked highly as three and high three and four star offensive linemen who didn't develop into good players. Uh, yeah, there, there can always be players where it's not the fault of the coaching staff. They came to campus with talent and they were coached well, but they just didn't turn out that they, okay. they didn't have the drive, the motivation. They weren't coachable for whatever reason. Things happened. That, but when it's they happening just over a stretch of multiple classes and well, multiple years. Absolutely. That's my point that that's going to happen from, from time to time. But we're talking about, so did Tyler Linderbaum turn out to be the best center in the country just because he couldn't be poorly coached enough that he just was that good? No, I don't think that. I think that would be unfair to say. Uh, Iowa identified him. He's a defensive lineman when he got to Iowa, identified him as a potential center, and developed him. I mean, I don't think anybody's doubting Kirk Ferentz's ability to develop offensive linemen. He's an offensive line coach. That's the thing. Your head coach is an offensive line coach. Your offensive coordinator is a former offensive lineman himself and a former offensive line coach. Um, you've got George Barnett, who's there to coach the offensive line. You have multiple cooks in the kitchen i know that can sometimes be a bad thing but you have a number of guys who understand the offensive line that's my big quandary is you look back to the 2018 class and beyond or and and more recent 2018 19 20 21 they've just had a number of misses back to back to back to back and for various reasons and some might say well it's just bad luck or that's just unfortunate again though as you as that sample size grows you you begin to wonder well what's going on there why is all of a sudden, you know, we've had to, nobody's doubting you had Tyler Linderbaum. That was a major, imagine if Tyler Linderbaum hadn't been Tyler Linderbaum. I mean, we, we would be looking and saying, man, who have they developed? Uh, Tristan Wirfs came to Iowa almost NFL ready. Alaric Jackson, uh, he was a starter in 2017, I believe was his true freshman, true freshman or redshirt freshman year, big guy. And, you know, he's, he's playing some in the league, but those are really the last two guys minus Linderbaum. Angle have nobody drafted this year. I can tell you that, uh, Mark. Jack Plum will not be drafted. Maybe he'll get into a camp somewhere. Um, you know, they had, you know, they had some unfortunate, even go back to 2020. They grabbed Koi Kronk, who was like a four-year starter at Indiana. He comes to Iowa and he dealt with some injuries, but he just never really, even when he was healthy, he just never really latched on. And they actually were decent up front in 2020. They had Mark Kallenberger step away from football. He had a really good 2020. We've went, we've done all this, right? Noah Fenske, Ezra Miller, uh, Tyler Endress, David David Cobb. Just go down the line, guy after guy after guy. And we understand that attrition is part of college football nowadays, right? Guys are going to leave and things are going to happen and there's going to be medical uh, retirees. We get that. But again, I just don't recall a time where you've had this many in this period of time. Uh, Connor Colby's a guy who, you know, he was a four-star coming out of high school, He's had two years now in the system. He better be ready to latch on in 2023. Like to, to me, guys like Connor Colby should be feeling pressure, or maybe the coach, maybe it's the other way around. Maybe the coaching staff should be feeling pressure to make sure that Connor Colby's ready because we've heard this, the last two years. Well, they're young. Well, they're young because you've had all these issues for various reasons. That's why you're young because your old guys aren't either playing up to what you need them to play or they've left. That's why you're young. Don't give me the young card. You shouldn't be young. There's there's programs across the country playing fifth and sixth year guys because you had a free COVID year in 2020. And, you know, why are you playing sophomores and, you know, juniors or second and third year players? So I don't buy that. And Mason Richmond started two full years now. As I mentioned, Connor Colby now has basically been a starter for two full seasons. Uh, this past year, Jack Plum was a fifth year senior. He's now gone. They're going to have Rusty Feth coming in now. Good get, by the way. Interior guy who's played a lot of center the last two years at Miami, but he also played some guard. He can kind of be flexible. He's an older guy. There ain't no excuses now. Like, I, I don't think there were ex valid excuses last year. There were some reasons, and you can kind of understand to an extent. But if, if Iowa doubles down on the entire staff, and as of right now, I have no reason to think they're not going to based on hearing nothing. It sounds like... Barnett and Copeland and all these guys are still out there recruiting, which you expect to an extent, but 
you know, we're, we're turning the calendar to February here soon and we'll be getting into fall practice or spring practice before you know it. If they double down on the entire staff and with the, the movement in the transfer portal at offensive line, at quarterback, even at receiver, and I think they're still going to do more work after the spring window opens again, there are no excuses anymore. So that might be, that might be Kirk's mindset is I can buy us one more year via the transfer portal. And then after the, if it doesn't work then, <laughs> then what, you know, what do you do? Right. But I think that that could end up being what happens if Kirk doubles down again. For me, it would be a fascinating exercise to go through. And I've mentioned this before. Uh, let's say start in 2021 and go through the recruiting class each year and go backwards and look at each player. Now, certainly there are guys that you recruit as program players. This guy's the 70th rated linebacker in the country. He's well off past a thousand overall. He's most likely, it'd be great if he turns into something we're not expecting, but he's going to be a special teams player. He's going to be a backup at his position. And if he turns out to be just that, that's fine. That's a hit. Uh, but to go through each player, look at their recruiting evaluation and then size them up as did they basically hit the mark or did they overachieve or underachieve? Were they overdeveloped and they turned into a better player than expected or a worse player than expected? And, and, and let's be honest, there. if you did that evaluation right now, you would probably have, I mean, there are, we're not even talking about defense, right? Like the number of guys that have emerged on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, why evaluate the defense? The defense yeah. is great. I know. But we tend to, we, I should we, say we, we can, are, we can go through the same exercise. That would be yeah. fun as well. But it, regardless of the numbers and what we would conclude about the individual defensive uh, development, the, the bottom line is the defense is tremendous. So, it doesn't matter. But apparently, we I've heard so many people come to me and evaluate Iowa as a whole. Like this guy that called in the other day to my show, trying to convince me that points per game are the, is the best way to evaluate um, an offensive coordinator. It's a way. It's it's a factor. It's, it's a... Um, I mean, it's part of the formula. But, I mean, again, like... Go back to, we can, I'm going to give you anecdotal evidence here, outliers, but like Indiana last year, Riley Moss has two pick sixes in the same game. You're going to count those 14 points and credit. What what did Brian Ferentz have to do with Riley Moss picking off the ball twice? Exactly. Are we, we, we can do that, but are we going to evaluate it based on the points produced by the offense? Not just the points produced by the team. No, you want to know why they're not going to do that, Mark? They're not going to do that because it doesn't fit their narrative. And there are people that believe that I have some agenda against Kirk Ferentz. I have no agenda against Kirk Ferentz, but there are people with an agenda for Kirk Ferentz. There are people who are loyalists and cannot see the forest of the trees because they they believe in Kirk as a person, as do I. But at some point, this is this is business, right? I mean, you got guys making millions of dollars. Uh, their job is to win football games, and Kirk would argue we've won enough, but. Again, it's just an, incredible to me that we still have those conversations about like, I, I mean, people who actually go out and, and and try to argue that Brian Ferentz hasn't been all that bad as a play caller, as an offensive coordinator. I mean, I, I hate even I don't like to sit here and rip on him. I don't. But people keep trying to to defend it. And I just don't know how you can possibly defend it. And it's not just to, total offense is not the best way to evaluate an Iowa offense because of how Iowa plays. We understand that. And I've had one person say to me in the past two weeks, I hate when people say Iowa has the second worst defense or offense in the country because that's just not true. You're right, right? I mean, because we're, we're, if we just look at total offense, you're, you are comparing Iowa's offense that competes against Big Ten defenses to, you know, group of five schools that are. Yeah, it's not the second worst offense in the country. No, it's not. But statistically, as it relates to total offense, they are. And that is an indicator, Mark, and it's a strong indicator. Chuck Long, I brought him up before. I'd say he's a pretty darn good quarterback. I know he wasn't a great head coach, but he made a comment last year that total he believes total offense is the best way to evaluate, uh, even an Iowa offense. So unless Chuck Long has a vendetta against 
Brian Ferentz and Kirk Ferentz and the Iowa staff. I don't think he's going to lie. Don Patterson is best friends with Kirk Ferentz, and he has stated that total offense is a major factor in evaluating an offense's performance. So anyways, but the reason I have to keep defending is because people keep trying to tell me that I'm wrong. And so I'm going to defend my stance on it. I, I, I think it's easy to evaluate, but apparently not the case. I'm not making this the barometer, but at the same time, I'm looking at yards per play. So for me, that's that's a better metric to look at rather than yards per game, number one. But number two, to Corey's point, and I completely agree, you cannot evaluate Iowa's offense versus South Alabama's offense statistically because Iowa's playing in the Big Ten. They're playing in the second-best conference. They're playing NFL players every week versus South Alabama playing in Conference USA, playing the teams that they're playing. Okay. Or the Sun Belt. I'm getting that mixed up possibly. Regardless, playing in an inferior league in comparison. However, this this is a slap in the face right now, and it's it's not necessarily anything we would not expect. If you do look at yards per play, Iowa's third worst in the country in yards per play. So that even takes out the... Um, the impact of not running a spread offense, not running a high-tempo offense in which you run a lot of plays, all of those things. It's just the effectiveness of how many yards you gain per play. Well, there's a team that plays in the same conference that led the nation in yards per play, that plays just as tough a defensive teams and led the nation in yards per play. At Ohio State? Yeah, it's Ohio State. Well, here, here's let me just if, if you and then play Georgia in a playoff game to also add to that statistic. If you want an argument against that claim that total offense doesn't matter because Iowa, the way Iowa plays, like you said, they're not a spread up tempo offense. Um, they are a clock management, ball control type of offense. Let's not forget that the Iowa's defense is constantly getting the Iowa offense the ball back, so they're having more opportunities. <laughs> to be on the field than most teams. But what do they do more often than not? They punt. Because punting is winning, Mark. That's why. They punt. So, whatever. The, the You know, that's people's opinions. Um, I've been told that there are a lot of people that are big donors out there that still are okay with eight wins, seven wins, nine wins on a year-in and year-out basis. And I don't judge those people. But I'm just telling you right now, if Kirk has the ability or the power to continue status quo with what we got here, and I'm talking about the offensive staff, and not make changes to try to take that next step, I would ultimately, I'm not going to even necessarily blame Gary Barta, because what's Gary Barta's job? His job is to fundraise and bring in dollars and, and get seats filled I, I would attribute it to the people that have a lot of money. And I'm talking a lot of those people are older. They've been Hawkeye fans a long time. They're alumnus. Those people, I would venture to say, are the reason why Kirk is going to have the power to do that if he does. Because they are okay with what we have. Whether you as a fan are watching this YouTube show. If you as a fan are not okay with it, too bad. You don't matter enough. That's basically what Iowa is saying. If that is the move that they make, you don't matter enough. The people that matter aren't upset enough. And until they push back, because Mark, they wouldn't have a choice, right? If the, all the big donors just said, we're done, we, we can't do this. And we're not, we're, we want to be elite. We want to compete for big 10 championships. We want to go to the playoff. It'd be done. It, it, would, it wouldn't even be a question. They would have to figure out a way to get Brian out. It wouldn't be dependent on an NFL organization, but it is. That tells me that those people who matter aren't upset enough. So we'll see how this plays out, but just don't direct your rage so much. I mean, you can be upset with Kirk Ferentz. You can be upset with Gary Barta. You can be upset with the president of, of Iowa if you want, but the bottom line is the people that control things are the people with money. And if the people with money are, do not push back enough, there's no reason for Kirk to make any changes. Ultimately. I stated this in a different way, I think, last week, that if, if you could state to any particular Iowa fan, 
you are going to go four and eight every year for the next 10 years, or you are going to go eight and four every year for the next 10 years, but you're not going to accomplish anything. You're never going to go to a big 10 championship game. You're going to go to bowl games, win some, lose some, go eight and five, go nine and four, but that's what you're going to do. I understand Basically, the difference is just there are more Saturdays throughout the fall that you feel good about your team going eight and four versus going four and eight. And maybe there's a sense of pride when you run into the Wisconsin fan or the Minnesota fan that you can say, oh, we beat you this year rather than we lost to you this year. But what I stated last week was really the the main component of hope in going eight and four versus going four and eight an incentive should be eight and four indicates that you're closer to building onto that team to be a champion than you are when you're four and eight. That only makes sense. Not just because you went eight and four instead of four and eight. You do wonder, Mark, if, you know, I've always said this, and I know it's this way across the country, but people here, I mean, there's no pro sports here. And Saturdays in the fall are just such an event. And, to your point, if Iowa started going three and nine, four and eight, it would take away from that all important cultural, iconic, every Saturday ritual that people have here. It really would. It would take away from mine. I know that. But I think there are some people that are willing to risk it because they do care more about the ultimate success of being able to win championships. And, you know, uh, I think what you said about feeling good each each and every Saturday or eight Saturdays out of the 12 in a regular season, uh, not counting the bye, th- there's people who just treasure that because it's an event, Mark. You can go, you tailgate. And there's people, we always say this, there's so many people that go to these tailgates and they don't really even care about the game. They'll stumble into the stands you know, an hour late and you know leave early. They're there for the experience. More power to them, right? Iowa don't care. <laughs> As long as you're yelling and you're you're giving them your money and you're paying for $10 beers, they don't care. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, maybe there's some trickle down. Maybe maybe that kind of starts with the big money people. Um, I don't know. I don't know that that fits demographically if that fits the people who are really funding the program. But, you know, we're just kind of theorizing here as to why Iowa has a different reality. Why, why the reality with a lot of Iowa people, and I say Iowa people, I'm not t- talking about employees of, of the University of Iowa, I'm also talking about people who are funding the, the money people and the season ticket holders. Why is it that it seems like the majority of those individuals are just okay being seven and five, eight and four, nine and three? Now, they have been to, I'll say this, they have been to two Big Ten championship games in the past, what, eight years. So you give them that. <laughs> but, you know, they lost both, right? One of them they got pounded in. Um, and then they got pounded in the Rose Bowl and, you know, 2015 16 seasons so those are facts um so but there is a, there is a i don't know if you call it complacency but a, um you're satisfied you're content and contentment believe me mark i'm all for being content in life i think if you're constantly trying to make more money you're never going to be happy right because you first of all money doesn't create happiness i think we can agree on that fame does not create happiness but the bottom line is with as it relates to college football and success in college football What's wrong with wanting to be bigger and better? Why isn't that more of a priority? I think maybe the the overall feeling and the 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 uh, I don't know the the uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of the the overall placement or or the um, I can't even think of the word now. Um, I think Kirk r- drives this program based on those elements. And if he gets to the, to bigger and better things, if he achieves greatness, great. I mean, great. <laughs> it's only going to help the cause, but it's not, it's not priority number one. It's not priority number two, three, four, even probably five. We've talked about that. We, I've never heard Kirk say anything about our, our goal is to make a college football playoff. And there are some people that would just say, well, why would he talk about that, Corey? Th- that's Iowa. Iowa's never going to be a blue blood. They're never going to be a power. So we need to just be happy with eight and four, nine and f- nine, three. Those are the people. That's the reason why I think it's a university athletic department wide um, feeling uh, stance. 
And I believe we're on the same page here because like you, I will say to those people, I have, I personally have nothing wrong with that. I see nothing wrong with that. This is a form of entertainment. And if that entertains Absolutely. you and that is um, satisfying to you and you enjoy it and don't demand that, uh, you know, I, I actually find it. I don't want to be too nitpicky here because I don't want to find issues with every type of approach and every type of mindset because uh, I will bring up since we do an Ohio state show and hear from those Ohio state fans. Here's the other end of the spectrum is those people are generally upset and annoyed because they lost a game. They didn't win the national championship and that's not good enough. And what's wrong with us and we have to fix it. By the way, motto was the word I was trying to think. Yes. I was okay. motto. How they operate things is based on, you know, what they view as success and, and probably no more. I will say this. You know who, and, and I th appreciate our our uh, person in the chat for kind of bringing this up. We didn't really bring it up, but he just kind of triggered my mind to this. You know what program Iowa, if, if for the fans that are upset with that complacency or being satisfied, you know what program they have to blame? I'll tell you exactly who it is. You can probably guess it, Mark. Who do who do they have to blame for people in Iowa who are Iowa fans being scared of change? Nebraska. Absolutely. It's Nebraska. Because I hear that all the time. Well, we can always be Nebraska. We don't want to be Nebraska. We you know. That's those are the, that's the that is the argument. Look what happened to Nebraska. They weren't satisfied with Bo Pelini. They fired Bo. Michigan's been brought up before. Right. Right. The Lloyd Carr era. It was kind of a messy, weird ending right to that era. But Nebraska modern day example is Nebraska. And until even when Nebraska recovers, Iowa fans will say, well, look, they were down for how many years after Bo? We, do we really want to go through a six to seven year, eight year hiatus? Eh, that's going to be the the mindset, the argument. So if you're, you know, I'm just telling you, if, if, if tomorrow cut rolls around and you hear exactly the opposite of what you want to hear, don't just direct it at one or two people or one or two things. This is probably a bigger issue that has more legs than you think. And as you know, I, I agree with being, if, if that's what happens, if Kirk doubled, I'm going to be disappointed in Kirk. I'm going to be disappointed in Gary Barta. I'm not going to hate the guys. I mean, they're still human beings. I think Kirk Ferentz is a great human being. I'll stand by that. But you'd be disappointed in him, and you recognize that this is a pretty big issue, and it's got a number of legs. It reminds me that I have yet to rank these coaches. Got to do that. Yeah, I got to release those off-season coaches' rankings that get people fired up. Got a super chat coming in from Stephen Light. Thank you so much for that, Stephen. Looking forward to Iowa's Happy Valley visit in 2023. Date circled, reservations made. I'm smelling a rat all the way. Early whiteout would be nice. So is, is Stephen a Penn State fan? Do you know, Mark? I don't know. I'm guessing that he is. Why would he be wanting a, a whiteout? But he's, you know, the smelling a rat. You remember where that came from? The Kirk Ferentz comment about yeah. the Penn State injuries or lack thereof yeah, yeah. <laughs> in 20 well, was, it, was that 20 no that's 20 boy i'm getting 21. my years 2021 i can't believe we've yeah. already had two years removed from the covid season yeah and, and uh that that's not to say that um iowa has not achieved uh great things in football and been a top 15 to 25 program for a long, long time. And certainly under Kirk, generally, I don't know where his winning percentage would rank during his tenure. It's not quite as high as I sometimes think he's around 60, 61%. That's Iowa. I think that's probably accurate. Maybe even a little bit better than that at Iowa. And eight and four. Yeah. Might be better than that at Iowa. Yeah. I think that's the key. Right there. It, you know, the word great is relative, right? I mean, what what is great? You say, well, they've achieved great things. Okay. What? They haven't won a Big Ten championship in 20 years. I misspoke. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying you may view it as great. Other, That's the whole problem here with Iowa fans. Some view these things as great. Some view them as mediocre. I hear that term mediocre all the time, and then I, I like seeing people's responses to those comments on Twitter or social media. Whatever. 
here's the definition of mediocre. Eight and four, nine and four, by definition, cannot be mediocre. You know, so that is the issue. There are just different beauties in the eye of the beholder, as they say, Mark. Who said that? Who's the first one to have said that? That's in the Bible, isn't it? I don't believe so. No, it's Beauty not. In the eye of the, not, not verbatim. I, I guess I have to look this up. I know it's on a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> of course, yes. Uh, that's where the woman is beautiful and all the doctors are ugly. Yes, yes. And so they think <laughs> she's ugly because she doesn't yes. look like them. Great episode. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Episode. Big build up to that uh, unveiling. Uh, yes. Uh, Iowa, I think we all have a thought in our minds as to where Iowa football stands uh, across the college football landscape. And for me, it's a top 15 to 25 program. It's a good program. I'm hearing here, Mark, that Margaret Wolf Hungerford is credited with uh, coining the saying in its current form in her, uh, and I guess it was in her 1878 novel, Molly Bond. Beauty is in the eye of the beholder. So maybe there's some origins much earlier than the 1800s. But anyways, um, so we'll see. Yeah, we'll see what happens tomorrow. Rusty Feth, we should mention before we get off here, Mark, Rusty Feth, Miami, Ohio transfer. He was coached briefly by coach uh, George Barnett. So I'm assuming Barnett recruited him or helped in his recruitment to Miami, Ohio. He's been a center the last couple of years. I think he's played for four, basically four years. Now, they didn't play much football in 2020 in the MAC. I think they played three games. Um so he's got a lot of experience. He's 6'4", 6'5", 300 pounds. He's a big guy, uh, which I, I'm, you know, it's great to have someone who's can be plug and play a few different places, right? I mean, if Logan Jones develops like you want him to at center, or if you're happy with where he was developing heading into bowl, uh, then play Rusty at either left or right. You have Connor Colby, who I would expect to be your starting guard one of your guards if he's comfortable at right and he's he's ready then you play rusty at left you play logan jones at center and then what we have mark is we have tyler ellsbury we have bo stevens we have jennings dunker we have a competition for maybe one spot um you know and I'm, I'm i'm assuming that connor colby doesn't grab hold of that spot you need a couple guys that's what i believe will help the competition in that room you need a couple guys to be solidified and to establish themselves as pillars up front. And I think once you do that, then there will be less need for rotation across the line, and it will only help competition because there's less spots available, so you better be your best every day. Now, maybe that's, maybe that's you know, faulty thinking. Um, I think Dejon Parker is likely going to be a, a starting tackle, and you hope that Mason Richmond can be, um, you know, a, a tackle. Um, I don't know if he's going to be your left tackle, maybe Parker ends up being your left and, and Richmond goes right, whatever. But Rusty Feth and Dejan Parker are really good ads. Um, as you mentioned earlier, they got another 2023 20, kid, Grant Leeper, tight end who had a couple major offers. I mean, Vanderbilt was in on him. Indiana offered, Wake Forest offered. Um, we got him this week. So good addition to the tight end room. I always made a couple of nice moves at that position with Eric All, of course, out of the portal and now with Leeper. I think they're in really good shape moving forward in that room. And of course you'd expect that with an Iowa tight end room. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they've done some nice work here uh, via the transfer portal and um, with uh, the, this 2023 recruiting class, I think it's a decent class. I, I've said the whole time, I think it's balanced even with the loss of Proctor, it's balanced across the board. There are some guys who are underrated. Uh, Josh Janowski is the uh, interior guy that they got for 24. So I believe he committed yesterday as well. And so uh, let's see, is he an Indian? I believe he's an Indiana kid as well. Illinois, uh, I believe. Illinois, you're right. Illinois kid. Had some Mac offers, but Iowa obviously saw something in him. So he'll he'll be joining the fray in 24. The 24 classes, I mean, after tomorrow, you're really going to be starting to focus in on that class. Um, and Iowa's got some nice pieces already there. Jacob Oden, four-star safety, big time national player he'll be announcing his school of choice on thursday he's a 24 kid his top five are uh, michigan notre dame penn state michigan state and iowa i guess he's a legacy recruit from michigan and i think they seem to be the favorites but uh, iowa is in his top five so 
got lots of things to watch for this week, Mark. Uh, and then Nick Jackson, a Virginia linebacker, who's got you know offers from Auburn and LSU and Oklahoma. I was told sounds like he's down to Iowa and Oklahoma. So he visited Iowa this past weekend, along with, I think, Leeper and Feth. Um, they may have had a couple more in there as well. Um, but uh, we're going to see you know, what that decision is. I think that'll come probably pretty soon. I don't think Jackson's going to stretch that out. I think we'll hear probably over the next few days, uh, if not just the next week. Uh, and boy, he'd be a great addition to a linebacking room that lost a lot to the transfer portal and to the NFL draft. Those two um, that I was in the running for right there uh, with some of those schools on the board is pretty impressive. So if they could get one out of those two. Well, Nick Jackson, you know, Nick Jackson's a guy who's got one year left. So I mean, he's going to be an immediate plug and play guy. And Odin, of course, um, highly rated kid but boy you add him to a defensive backfield that's going to be featuring now he won't be here until 24 but he'd be added to a class that would feature or, or to a team that would feature you know xavier wampa cooper de gene um i've got some uh, tj hall's young prospect i really like in that in that uh, uh room so yeah they, they, they gotta land them right i mean they've been in the running for some high major i mean caden proctor is a perfect example you gotta land them and then of course if Odin is indeed a 24 guy. I'm assuming he didn't reclass up for some reason. Then you got to sweat for the next eight months trying to keep him. So yeah. the nature of the game, nature of the beast now, Mark. And once again, let everyone know uh, your plans on national signing day. Yeah. I, I, you call it a national signing day. I don't know that I would call it that so much, but uh, it will, we'll talk about whatever people want to talk about. I'm sure it's a lot of it's going to be based upon what, occurs what's said during the press conference Kirk Ferentz's press conference which will occur at about 3 p.m. tomorrow I'm guessing that uh, the university will stream that live on their uh, their YouTube channel so I'll be going live basically right after the conclusion of that uh, that press conference taking your calls taking your chats we'll we'll just talk about it whatever happens so catch Corey on Wednesday uh, we will also provide national signing day coverage throughout the day as news warrants at last check four of the top 100 players had yet to sign. All right, Corey, appreciate you being here. Everybody head on back next Tuesday at four 30 central for Hawkeyes live. In the meantime, track Corey on from the Hawkeye of the storm for all your Iowa football and basketball coverage. Thanks Corey. Thanks Mark.